Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching Up With Cub is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. At Cub, we say we're your business family because that's exactly what we are. And today, I'm catching up with Cub family member Adriana, who is the CMO of Holman Webb Lawyers. Uh, Holman Webb is a nationwide law firm with offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Adelaide. Adriana is a super cool person. She started her career in as a telemarketer and worked her way up to being the CMO of a, of a law firm with over 200 staff. She is a tax lawyer. She was an actor, a book publisher, <laughs> really amazing person who followed her dreams and followed what she wanted to do. We had a really cool conversation. So enjoy the show. And we're live. Welcome to the show, Adriana. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, please. I'm very excited to have you and to learn a lot about your expertise, which is what we're here today to do. But I think it was Calvin was telling – Calvin's your membership manager at Cub, yes? yes? You're a very, very new member. Oh, yeah, literally like three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> but prior to this conversation, I mean, we've probably spoken for about two minutes. So this is really the first time we're getting to know each other and you're going to do it in front of the entire membership base and thousands of other That's listeners. That's right. Well, I'm happy to chat anytime. Yeah, well, I, just made myself, I just made myself nervous. <laughs> but uh, no, you have had an incredible career and, and I really want to review kind of your, your journey to date before we dive into some of your areas of expertise because you have had quite an interesting journey. You were a telemarketer, you are a lawyer. No, no, no. The way I describe it, my yeah. career has been a drunken stumble through life. <laughs> your career is like my life. Strategic, <laughs> <laughs> rather than any strategic... You know, uh, planning behind it. Let's put it that way. But isn't that beautiful? Life just happens to you. Yeah. Well, I I was quite uh, fortunate because my dad was probably the first feminist I ever knew, and uh, he kind of raised me to believe that women could always, you know, do anything they wanted. So, uh, any time an opportunity came along, I never really thought twice about it. So you know that kind of, you know, that research that says women will you know, won't go for a job unless they know 90% of the role. I've never really thought <laughs> that way. I'm like, just, oh, I know 50%. That's really good. <laughs> but one thing that's really special about that is that you had the self-belief. That's kind of everyone's, um, like, what most people lack. It's just that self-belief. No one really knows how to do anything, yeah, especially right. at the start. You know, but exactly. if you believe you can figure it out, like, that's, that's half the battle. Well, Thank, Thanks, Dad. Yeah, thanks, Dad. And I think also people underestimate their capabilities a lot of the time mm. uh, and and also finding the right people to help you through that journey as well. Mm. If you get some really good mentors or you've got people that are really helpful along the way, mm. there's a lot that you can do and achieve. And so right now you're currently the CMO of Holman Webb Lawyers and, and – also and also in client relations or yeah so my role is chief marketing client relations officer so that essentially involves all the marketing type activities mm -hmm. uh, I head that up and also helping the the lawyers sort of deal with clients and client strategy and, and business development essentially and Holman Webb is that what over 200 lawyers you said yeah across, so the 200 staff states. across four states we've been around since like the 1960s yeah uh, but it's it's interesting because we're not a 
sort of really conservative old-fashioned firm. Mm. It's really innovative. We're very much focused on tech. We've got it's lots of modern. young. It's quite yeah. a modern look. Yeah, it though, is. It? it is. And, and so that's quite a, I mean, that's a, a very big role and, and large responsibility. Why don't you take us through, give us a bit of an introduction as to how you got there, just a summary of the journey. Oh. You know, starting from your telemarketing days. Oh, right, my telemarketing yeah. days. Wow. Okay, so what happened was, uh, yeah, I was at school and I got straight A's and the teacher just sort of said, do you want to do law or do you want to do medicine? And I thought, oh, God, I hate maths, so I'll do law. And that's how I ended up doing law. Really? Yeah. So you studied Randomly. Law. Studied law. Yeah, and then I, st- I was a telemarketer for five years for um, teenagers with cancer, raising funds for them. And I just that's think the ev- only type of telemarketing that isn't entirely annoying to people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's a good telemarketing with a good cause. Yeah, true, true. But uh, we, um, yeah, I just think it's an amazing opportunity for people to develop resilience. I think everyone should work in a call center for six months. Why is that? It just gets you really, you know, toughens you up, gives you thick right, skin. Because you're getting no all the time. Getting no all the time. You just learn to. Like we always used to say in the uh, telemarketing room, like water off a duck's back, mm. like water off a duck's back. Don't worry and then, about it. Yeah, just and I think that's been my whole motto through. <laughs> yeah. You know, unless you're a you're a paramedic, I always think there's there's scope to just yeah, put things into really perspective. Matter. Yeah, you've yeah. got to put things into perspective. I agree. And how many things at the time are you like? At the time, you're like. Oh no, like this is the end. This sucks. This is so this is so important. It's so big. And then like not even a month later, like a week later, you're like, can't even remember that. Yeah, well, it's like that that saying, you know, the world has ended for me many times, but I've woken up the next day. That's a great I've never heard that. Yeah. It's a fantastic saying. Yeah. That's something all business people need to to do. (laughs) And so telemarketing. Yeah, so telemarketing. Yeah, a lot of resilience. And then I um went and became a tax lawyer. Because that's the only subject I really liked at university was tax. Um, and then I did that for a while and then um, GST came out and um, nobody really understood it. So you could be 26, 27 and… And be an expert. And be an expert at it, right? Mm. Or 60 and it didn't matter. We knew the same amount. So I was put on a plane and I flew around Australia doing uh, GST seminars and writing publications and doing all that kind of thing at the law firm that I was at at the time. And was a GST expert at 28, 29. That's very cool. And then I looked at my life and went, oh, God, I don't think I want to do this for the next 20 years. <laughs> so I packed my bags and I went and studied acting at the Royal Academy in what? London. Just for fun. That's crazy. So you were having a successful career. Yeah. And then You're I, actually an expert in, in something which, which th- that opportunity to do so at such a young age doesn't normally come around. It's just correct. something new came out. Absolutely. And then you dropped it all. Yep. And became an actor. Yeah, because I, <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit wacky, but um, I, I also that. had to live in my truth, you see. So mm-hmm. that was what I wanted to do. I'd wanted to do it for a long time. And even at school, I was heavily involved in drama. But this is where the teachers at school were looking out for my best interests and sort of moved me into, into academia and, and law. Instead, and of, instead of saying, why don't you go to NIDA? Yeah. You know, like they would probably these days. And do you think you should have done that? Yeah, probably. I mean, these days they do law and performing arts as a combined degree, which probably would have been pretty cool. Yeah, perfect. But, you know, kids have got amazing opportunities these days and 
They're really fortunate. And so did you actually act or did you study the acting? Yeah, so I did it for four years. I was in and out of the industry for four years and then that's when I uh, thought, wow, I better get a real job. <laughs> and then I went into uh, to publishing and that's when I was at Thomson Reuters. And what were you doing there? I was the um, I was a commissioning editor, so deciding I, I which, know nothing about which books book were publishers to be published and, and which manuscripts would make money and doing business cases for the board. So, what, but what is a book publisher? So, do you choose? It's like the, the people that choose. It's like if you're putting a property deal together, for example. Yeah. You're putting like a book deal together. So you find the mm-hmm. writer, you Correct. find the theme, you put the picture, you market the book, you have yeah, the, the whole plan. lot. Yeah. So, so like you the oversee of books. That's correct. It's the business of books, and um, because of the way the business has moved now, you're actually managing teams in lots of different states and countries. Uh, so we were working remotely probably and 10, did, 15 years ago in publishing. And why do you think they picked up a, a, an actor? Oh, because it was a legal publishing house. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I had, okay. a, I had an in. How good is Daniel? that? <laughs> and, and, and you're a Melbourne girl? Yeah, so I am a Melbourne girl and then I moved up to Sydney with uh, Thomson Reuters. With the book And publishers. I didn't look back. No? No, I just got Sydney? to this city and I just knew this is where I needed to I be. I know, it's so beautiful. It's so. amazing. Oh, it's such, it's such a crazy city. But And I can say that because I've lived in both as well. I've lived, I lived in uh-huh. Melbourne for the past, how long, Laura? Like two years really I've been in Melbourne. It is an amazing city. Melbourne members, I love Melbourne. But Sydney is just Yeah, it just puts you in a good day every day. It does. The topography is insane. The weather's amazing. It just looks nice. Mm. When things look nice around you, you're in a happy mood. I agree. It's like the best way to tell if I'm losing my mind, I'm in a bad, just not organised behind, is if you like look at my car. If my car's messy, like my brain's messy. Ah. If the car's clean, your apartment's clean, everything's nice, you walk in. You 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 feel like a champion, you know. Your your brain's alive. I don't know. Is that everyone? Um, <laughs> I'm one of those people that my house is super clean. Yeah. And my all the time. And my office, not so much. Really? Like I just put things in piles in my office on my desk to make it look neat. But I know exactly where it's organized mess. It's oh, you organized know where chaos. Are. I know so exactly I where everything that. is. And what would you say your specialty is as a as a marketer as a CMO? What's your you, – you mentioned something briefly to me before which I was really interested in, which was neuromarketing. Mm-hmm. Do I say that correctly? Yep, yep. What does that mean? So neuromarketing is essentially using all sorts of um, – we use fMRI, um, EEG scans to look at what the brain is doing um, in relation to product or services. You, I, asked you what get, it, I asked you what neuromarketing means. You started, you got me even more confused. What's fMRI <laughs> So it's, you know, basically scans of the brain okay. where we can see consumer behaviour, consumer mm-hmm. thoughts. Because I guess the point is is that uh, we never make decisions on a conscious level. We're always making decisions We're on an unconscious level. And so you just said subconscious whereas I'll say unconscious because I don't think it's sub to the conscious it's okay. next to the conscious it's not even part of the conscious well <laughs> i just you know you don't want to give it less significance by okay. saying sub right okay so um i've spoken to some people in this space that do a lot of work and they're like like no you don't say subconscious say unconscious wow yeah so i call it the unconscious now just to keep everybody happy and essentially we 
think we're making decisions with our conscious mind when in fact it's our unconscious mind and it's based on a lot of things that have happened to us between the ages of zero to seven or zero to nine, which they call imprinting. And as a marketer, you need to understand all of this in order to best. That's right. So when you're having a market research group, you're not necessarily getting the correct answer is what they're saying through neuromarketing. Yeah, because that's them logically thinking about why they would purchase as opposed Correct. to knowing they want it for. Yeah, so, you know, some examples of neuromarketing, Lay's chips, right? They did some scans and they realised that when consumers looked at the packets of chips that were glossy, they had negative connotations in the brain and if they were matte, they had nothing. Really? So they ripped all the glossies and put the matte, <laughs> matte packets in. And and so, mo- but most companies can't actually go do the brain scans. No, the big ones do. So, yeah, so you have it, to look at their data. Is NBC, that correct? yeah, NBC, Time Warner, they they've been using neuromarketing and they've had neuromarketing units for years, so they could ascertain the movies that were going to make more money mm-hmm. through the movie trailers, and they would do that with about twenty percent accuracy. So okay. now we're finding that Facebook, Google, Microsoft, they have neuromarketing units and it's now as up. well. And the whole problem with neuromarketing was that it was so expensive but now that you've got the likes of Facebook using it, there's a lot of people in Silicon Valley that are developing far more, um, you know, price-friendly software systems, that, we can, are doing systems that we can use. But isn't that, that's kind of like everyone's big dilemma at the moment. It's the fact that companies are getting, like Facebook is probably the primary one, but or Google too. But the fact that companies are getting way too much information about you mm. that you don't even know about you, and I don't know on which side of the coin I'm on because, I mean, I'm pro that I'm pro businesses having your data. Like, all they can do is sell you something. You don't have to buy it. They try sell it to you, and and also like, I mean, if you want it, you want it. Just because well, they want to sell it to right. you the right way, then like I don't know. What do well, you think we've about been it? we've been subject to this for eons. I mean, you know, advertisers have known the power of color, for example, uh, the power of using a baby in advertising. All sorts of uh, psychology goes into yeah, into marketing and and advertising. So we've been exposed to it for for a long time anyway. Yeah, um, now it's just on steroids now it's because just on there's steroids. so much data. Yeah, and they <laughs> exactly. know where you are, what you're doing. Your phone's on you all the time. I just figure I'm not important enough for it to matter. No, right? I want. I, <laughs> I want them to. I want them to watch where I'm going. I'd be cut if they weren't looking at me. Oh, you're that generation. Yeah. That's why I'm showing my age now. <laughs> no, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I haven't got too much of an opinion about that topic. But how do you then use um, neuromarketing? Well, we haven't as yet in in our environment. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, for me at the moment, I'm watching the space and seeing how it's developing. Uh, and it's being used a lot. Like PayPal, for example, they, when they brought out their new, new service, they were thinking, mm, I wonder is it, is it security or convenience that consumers want more of? So when they developed their advertising campaign, they had to ascertain which was more important to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally would think it would be security, right? Yes. No. Convenience was what. Because people are super lazy. Yeah, <laughs> convenience mm. was the was the key. Wow. In fact, uh, so yeah, it, it's really good for all that type of. And how could a company? Yeah. 
like uh, us, for example, how could we think about that, that, that unconscious part of the brain? How can, a, you know, not a big corp, not one of the monster companies, a non-Facebook, how can we um, access information like that? And, and um, Well, I think it's still too early to be able to do that. Okay. First of all, it's still very much in its infancy. It's been around for a little while but, you know, we're still getting it right, mm-hmm. as they say. And there was a lot of hype around it. So I think we're getting better data now. I think we're getting better uh, technology around it now Do as well. Do you have any sources that you, that you read or have watched that have information on neuromarketing? Um, so there is a company in Melbourne that um, – the name escapes me now, but I can give it to you yeah, later. Yeah, it gets but me later. We'll put yeah, it on the website. Yeah, put it on the website because these guys are amazing and they do a lot of that stuff. They're around, they do it around the world as well, mm-hmm. um, around the globe. And they've So like a company can cool. hire them to figure it out? Yeah. Oh, that's super they cool. They get their consumers in and um, they'll do a research group and they'll they'll test, they'll test okay, products really for them. that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Hyundai also have used it when they do their new um, new features for their cars. Well, I mean, all the big players would be so advanced in that. Mm. But what I really am trying to figure out is how does it apply how, to you? Yes, how can how can members use it? Or for example, how do you think about it? You've got the, the, the well. First of all, we the current data that's out there around neuromark the neuromarketing piece is mm. interesting anyway. Because if one of our cub members is in the same space as a PayPal, you will know now that. Based do on whatever that. PayPal does. <laughs> do what PayPal does yeah. because they're, well, that's a they're great going way. well beyond the uh, the conscious mind. Yeah, and that's a great way to do it. Look at a company in a similar space to you Yeah, that is one of the big probably American companies. Mm. And see and what just, they've done. Yeah, their website, their wording, their, you know, just because the, your strategy as a business could be different as theirs doesn't mean that a lot of the stuff could be applicable. That's a but if you also idea. know that there is aspects of the unconscious that obviously comes into a lot of the decision-making. You know, your your customer experience journey, so your CX journey, is what you really need to be focusing on. A good example is NRMA. They had, um, you know, they even in their mechanic, you know, stations they've got posters up on the wall that will say what how they're supposed to treat clients. How they're supposed to speak to them. Don't use too much uh, jargon, you know, all that kind of thing. So all that starts tapping in and people are feeling more comfortable and, you know, it's it's breaking down a lot of those previously held beliefs about mechanics that they're and trying to rip you off. But, you know, another example is NRMA. There was a woman that broke down in the middle of nowhere. She had three kids in the car. It was 6 o'clock in the evening and um, and the guy that came to help them from NRMA brought some McDonald's with him for the kids. Now, the kids are never going to forget that. Wait, wait, is this a real thing or is it's this a, a real marketing? Thing. It was no, no, happened. this actually happened. That's special. Yeah, and he took McDonald's to the kids. And do we think those kids will ever forget what NRMA did? More importantly, the mom. Well, the mum, a thousand percent. But those kids will be NRMA customers for forever. Life. <laughs> yeah, that's really clever. Imagine marketing to well, that's where but that's where the ethical line gets blurred. Are you allowed to market to super young children? Well, I don't think they did that on you know, they, Of course they, not. Of course they that. didn't. But you of know, it's not, just reminding it's Yeah, it's reminding everybody the customer is a human being and my favorite, favorite yeah. um, insurance. I think the insurance ad is the Amy one. 
I don't know why, but you know the Amy girl at the end when she smiles oh. at you in the camera? I reckon that's one of the best ads ever. Who ever forgets the Amy the Amy you commercial? You don't, do you? No, everyone knows her. She kind of looks a bit like us with our earphones on right yeah, now. Yeah, she, she's, she's just great. I don't even know what she does. She just sits there and smiles and I'm like, shit, I'd probably, yeah, go to Amy. There you go. The smile sends messages to the, to the brain. And they would, I, I can guarantee they would have been through so many different um, men and women or whatever they were looking for for that role to find her. Who's the most friendly and most approachable? Yeah, they must have. Yeah. Trustworthy yeah. too. Yeah. And like if you think about insurance, yeah, well the primary thing would be maybe reliability or trust. You know, so they, they must find, they've got to find the person that That's right. embodies that the most. Exactly. It's kind of like. With the law firm, for example, yep. what do you think is the difference – or sorry, what do you think is the primary motive, you know, a client would use you guys as opposed to someone else or the, their, their neuro, their, un, their unconscious Well, uh, I don't for know. you guys or for any law firm? Yeah, we're a little bit different. We have a lot of partners who were in-house and have worked at corporates and then they've come to us. Uh, in private practice, which is not common. Usually when lawyers leave, they don't then come back into private practice. They'll stay out Mm -hmm. and be in-house. And what that does is that it actually gives them a really unique perspective when they're providing advice to our clients because they've already experienced it, they've been in the business. You know, often one of the big complaints about lawyers is that they're not very commercial. And I did experience that myself, in fact, when I was in publishing because I had a quite a large global firm doing our contracts for our authors. And I just remember looking at the contract going, there is no way an author's going to sign this. It's so, you know, hard on the author. We can barely find people to write for us anyway. It's a huge job. They don't get paid a lot of money for it. Um, and, And royalties aren't massive. Why would I give them a contract that's so hard on them, you know? And there's just that commerciality that, I think lawyers miss a lot of the time. And and because so they, haven't been they haven't been in, in a, a corporate. So yeah, they haven't been in a business. They've worked at the big law firms. They haven't actually worked in businesses for the internet. Yeah, to thing. see all the different nuances that being in a corporation involves because it's really different. Yeah, that's cool. I never thought about that. Yeah, so you reckon the lawyers that have worked in companies yep. um, in-house are, uh, have an additional layer of, I guess, understanding and value that they can bring? Yeah, I think so. I think there is definitely uh, an interesting aspect there. But, you know, lawyers these days are getting a lot of exposure to that because they're doing a lot of secondments. Mm-hmm. So they might go and spend a month at a client and really get involved in the business. Okay. Uh, so, you know, the law is Is that a new trend that's happening? Uh, look, it's been happening for a while and accountants have been doing it for ages because auditors go and sit, you know, and do yeah, an with audit you. with you. Yeah. Uh, so it's been happening for a while now but um, it's – a lot more prevalent now and I think it's definitely to the benefit of not just the client but also to the lawyers as well. There's something about having a relationship with – I mean it's what I do for a living is build valuable relationships. I just think it's the most important thing because at the end of the day you're going to work – like if you want to do even more business with someone that's already a client. A member said to me yesterday that he took a group of clients. So we had a Grand Prix event where we took members and they could come, they could bring clients and we had a really nice box – the car. It was the first. I think oh, it was thanks the only for the invite, day. <laughs> you only signed up three weeks ago. <laughs> Joking. But but, um, but it was like I think the Grand Prix got cancelled because of COVID. So we got like the only day. It was the first day. And anyway, this member uh, said to me that he he 
he brought like a fair few clients, maybe like eight of them. And he said that he's doing more business. He's got an additional business from them because he has a much stronger relationship with them because they had such a good time together. They bonded even more. They were grateful, obviously, that he had brought them. And I just think that it doesn't matter if it's a not client, if it's an existing client, if it's a, your doctor who, you know, you need to trust. Like whoever it is, you, you, you need to have good relationships with people. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're, well, we're human beings <laughs> and we operate in a very unique way. So effectively we have not evolved as a species. It takes 100,000 years for a species to, to evolve. Uh, so when I shake your hand... Your DNA is rubbing off on my hand and it's sending messages to my brain to tell me whether or not I trust you or whether you're part of my tribe or not. And that's that gut feeling that you get. So, you know, as humans we do need that interaction. We we need that human interaction to to bond. Um, There's all sorts of things that we need to do that are randomly still part of being a caveman. You know, for example, we know also that having food at the table when you're in a negotiation starts the negotiation probably in a more calm and amicable way because food is seen to be comfort to the human mind and to the to, to our physiology people. to our physiology yeah, yeah we're not in fight or flight mode when the food's in in our presence very cool. What other tricks do you have like oh, that? Oh, I'm not telling. <laughs> you have to. Okay, no, no, so no, there's a couple. There's a couple. So any situation where someone wants to win someone over but they're unsure it could be on Oh, uh, that's why they say food is the way to a food. man's heart. Oh, I can assure you food <laughs> And that is, is definitely not my forte. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a cook? I can do anything but I can't cook. Well, you can act, call people and raise money for cancer. Right. You can do tax. You can be a lawyer. You've... Uh, Publish some books. You can do. Yeah, I can do pretty now. a lot of things, yeah. uh, but cooking. And is... you can be the CMO of I can a eat. very large company. <laughs> you can eat. We can eat. And you live in the east anyway. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You're the best restaurants in town. There. Correct. And what about? Can you tell us just a bit more about Holman Webb? Yep. And just what makes you guys different? What type of law you do? Yeah. Um, so uh, we do everything, uh, but we don't do uh, criminal and family. So everything but. Uh, everything but criminal and family, which is annoying because that's kind of the sexy part of yeah. law. Uh, and we don't do tax either, which is great because I don't get them knocking on my door every two minutes asking to do tax. Yeah. Uh, but so what are the things you primarily focus on? Primarily, so we've got an insurance practice. We do defendant insurance uh, work. So we have um, some of the largest insurers as clients. Uh, we have property, litigation, dispute resolution, Corporate and commercial, obviously, uh, and um, debt recovery. And so what are some of the things that make you guys different? So I, I know that yeah, many of the lawyers have been in-house lawyers yep. before. That's something you guys really pride yourself on. But it's also quite a modern legal firm in that you've got quite a non-hierarchical structure. Is yeah, right? we do. It's interesting because we um, hang out with partners. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, the juniors will hang out with the It's just a very cool place to work. The culture's amazing and we're very careful about protecting the culture of the firm as well. You can see that when we have clients. Our clients come in and hang out in our office and, you know, I'll be walking past someone's office and there's a client just sitting in there and they're typing up a letter together. Yeah. You know, it's really cool. Like it's it's It's, it's very, a very different. Yeah, it's normal, very different to a normal yeah, In a normal firm. legal firm you'd be getting charged if you're Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that's the other thing. We're pretty uh, – you can, you know, 
call and have a bit of a chat and we don't start the clock ticking immediately, you mm. know. We can um, have a civil conversation. We can that. have a civil, yeah, we can have a civil conversation. So, would you, so and, and do you as the um, CMO have a lot to do and play in that creating that culture? Uh, to, to an extent, yeah. About? Yeah, I think we all do really. Uh, the whole place is built on that. We've got uh, what we call above the line behaviour and if you don't comply with that, you're probably not going to last with us. What do you mean by above the line behaviour? Look, you know, we treat each other respectfully and there's a level of um, kindness and care that that we Like expected behaviour. It's expected behaviour but you don't find it all the time Mm. in other – Especially legal firms. I mean legal firms are known for being pretty tough to work in, right? So – and lawyers can be fairly demanding and fairly opinionated (laughs) Um, and so we have to be fairly careful – you know, how we, we treat the support staff and... And are there things that you guys do to to stimulate that culture? Do you do team things? Yeah, do we do lots of team things. Um, you know, we have a shared services group that we meet so they don't feel like they're just literally... Because you've got to understand it's quite different when you work in, in a law firm because you've got the fee earners and then you've got what's called the fee burners. Yeah. Right. The assets and the liabilities. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And I, I, I'm considered to be a liability. I'm a fee really? burner. Well, I don't, I, you know, I bring you in marketing. Yeah, I mean, bring I, the, I mean bring the money. business development, yes. But if I was simply in a marketing role, that then I would definitely be seen as a fee burner. Mm. Is that the terminology? Yeah, that's fee the term- earners and fee burners. That's right. I heard that. If you don't bill every six minute increments, then you're a fee burner. Well, I can tell you that I always got taught that when I was younger as well. That. 80% or at least 70% of your of your team need to be assets was the word that was used, but meaning that need to be producing. They need to bring in more than than they than they let out. That's right. They cost. Yeah. And so that's obviously a very Yeah. And but all legal very, firms are like that. Accounting firms may even yeah, be. Yeah, look, like that. the thing is it's become a highly disrupted um uh profession where we're being called to really step up the technology. Artificial intelligence is playing a huge part in litigation. You know, what you used to have, you know, 10 paralegals sitting in a room doing, you now have a computer that can just spit it out for a quarter really? of the price. Yeah. And that's happening now? Yeah, it's been happening for a while. Really? Yeah, discovery documents are not being done by juniors anymore. We've got them doing more interesting things, you know. Or you don't have them and so say you're saving money. That's it. right. Um, but, you know, there's also a lot of aspects of the law which are, you know, changing in the sense that, yes, we don't have the paralegals doing all that kind of work, but things are getting really, I say, juicy because technology is moving so quickly, but yet the law's not catching up fast enough. So, for example, you could have what, we've got 4D printers now, don't we? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what happens if you someone prints a gun, goes out and commits a felony? Is the printing company liable for being an accessory to murder? I don't know. Do you know whether we, we don't know the answer? Is it can the law? Even I mean, decide? we don't know this. You know, there's what happens when two driverless cars crash? Who's liable? Yeah, technology. You can't even arrest that. We we just don't know what happens. You think there could be all these issues with drones dropping things on people, yeah. and we have all these you know injury claims. The technology is moving very quickly. And yet the law is not moving fast enough. What do you think is going to happen? Because I would assume that you can't, you can't 
put law and technology because not a thing. Oh, there is a thing, law and technology now. What do you mean? There's students that can study law and technology. Really? But to manage it, like, for example, you can't arrest a drone. No. Right? But you can, you can have laws around the people that make it and sell it and you can have laws around we the can, people that use it. But have we yet? I don't no. know. So this is the whole issue around, you know, technology and how quickly it's moving and I just think that the law is just going to get more exciting and more interesting. Mm. Some people are more concerned about it but I actually think it's it's an opportunity. 100%. It definitely is concerning because there's going to be a lot of chaos I would imagine. Yeah, at some point. But at the same time, if you want to stand out and do something really interesting in that field of law, in that industry, it's probably the best time to be in it because shit's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's, cool stuff's going to Yeah, happen, really cool right? stuff. Yeah. Stuff that's outside of the typical. That's it. And so, like, it, you know, a lot of doing the, you know, the documentation we used to do, that's all getting automated now. So you don't have to do all that boring stuff. Mm. You know, it's people used to say lawyers are yeah. paper pushers. They're not going to be paper pushers for much longer. But they have been in the past. So yeah, they have. actually being a lawyer is actually about to get better. Correct. That's very cool. And would you say that much of the industry is, is uh, worried about that or would you say that? people are somewhat embracing it? Depends. I think the juniors are definitely embracing it. I think oh, okay. there's some dinosaurs that probably are just not happy about it. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you're and in, that's in every industry I think. Of course, yeah. that's, in, that's in everything in general. When you're in power, no one in power wants to change anything because if it changes I may no longer be in power and I like to be in power. Exactly. So it's going to be the young lawyers that come through and really – Really yep. push that. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's another aspect of, of what we do. We're very, very um, agile to, to, and I, I hate using that word because everybody says agile, but because we have such a supportive board, I, I started a series called Legal Lockdown, a video series within four weeks. Probably at other firms I would have had to get permission from 25 people and, you know, jump through a million hoops. I just kind of said I want to do this. They said, go for it. Let's see what happens. And it's, yeah, and it's been going. And it's like a video podcast, no? It's a video podcast, And yeah. how can people find it? Uh, it's on LinkedIn and our website as well. And what can people expect to, to it learn? Just, we cover different topics really. Of law? Around or? COVID, yeah, and how people have managed COVID. I mean, it's been quite mixed bag. We've had Beyond Blue on there talking about their corona hotline and all the data and everything that's come out from that. We had our debt recovery partner discussing what's going to happen once all the measures are lifted that have been really propping up the economy. A lot of administrators and liquidators believe that we're about to have a lot of businesses out of business. Have a lot of business yeah. out of business. Okay, I think yeah. everyone thinks that. They're just yeah waiting for October to get pretty pretty nasty. So and can you tell me more about the client relations side of your role and, and what what are some of your, I guess. Oh, you mean the drinking and the eating side? Yeah, the good side. <laughs> That's what we do at Cup. That's it. And can, yeah, can you tell me, I guess I'd love to learn a bit of the basis of your beliefs in regards to client relations, some of the fundamentals. I, I couldn't imagine having a client base when you don't really understand your client their challenges, their issues, what they're going through. It, it's just no point. For me, I don't talk about work when I meet with someone. Mm-hmm. I do that much later. Yeah. First of all, I want to know, do I want to do business with you? Are you the kind of person that I want to be part of my, my – Yeah, in my life. Really. In, yeah, in my life because we, we are, you know, we always say lawyers are becoming not just, a, you know, 
they're trusted advisors. Mm. And people will call us to tell us all sorts of things like, you know, I don't think my wife and I are going to last. I need to get my will changed and I need to that guy's forward thinking. do estate planning <laughs> and, you know, all this kind of thing, you know, or, you know, my business partner and I are falling out. That, that keeps – that's as bad as a divorce, yeah. you know, and it's harrowing and what people go through with that kind of thing is terrible. And we have to hold their hand through that. But what you're saying too is that sometimes even with a client, the best thing you can do is actually not talk about work sometimes, at least at the start. Yeah, absolutely. Bond on something more personal. Exactly. And, and that and that will also give you an understanding of how that client, what their expectation levels are of you. Are they the kind of person that, you know, wants to be called rather than emailed? You know, these are the type of things, you, the nuances you need to get down pat because everybody communicates differently. Everybody has different expectations of how that relationship's going to work. Um, and, and I think you need to get that. So the better the communication, the better the understanding on both parties. That's right. The expectations are met. And so what are some of the things you would coach some of the lawyers on or, or yep. th- what are some of the things you get them to There's do? There's really simple things. that Some lawyers are amazing and they just know exactly what to do. They'll go out, they'll just be rainmakers and to be fair, I don't really have… Rainmakers meaning making that much, Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, effectively… I'll just go along and really get that information out of the client. They'll watch me do that. Then they'll start to understand how it works because it's very easy for a lawyer to sit down with a client and start talking about the matter. I always say to them, stop calling it the matter because there's a client behind that. They have to really change their thinking and understand there is a human being behind that matter. And so you actually go with them. To the meetings, yeah. demonstrate. Exactly how to kind of break down that, yep. the wall. The wall, exactly. Uh, and it's really because I don't think you could do my job if you weren't interested in humans and human behaviour and mm. people. Like I love listening to people's stories. Mm. And you mentioned um, with business development, right, which is part of client relations, yes, mm-hmm. that there are still the cavemen, we still have the cavemen in us. What are some of the, I guess… Um, research or some of the um, tendencies humans have still that you can, uh, by understanding and knowing, you're able to sell better to? Well, I think you need to develop some commonality straight off the bat. And that immediately builds some level of trust, not extreme trust, but it will build some level of trust and open the door at least. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you need to do is work out What do you both have in common? And that will take you asking questions. Yeah, lots of questions too. Well, might not be lots. could be a couple you don't know. But in effect, the best thing you can do is show interest. Mm. I mean, obviously don't pry. (laughs) No, I'm thinking about Cubs pitch. Yeah. We're trained to to get at least three points of commonality um, with every meeting. Mm Mm-hmm. And they can be anything from, I don't know, favourite football teams. Correct. To, I don't know, favourite restaurant, whatever. i got kids, you've got kids, whatever it is. Um, but three is is what we what we look to do. Yeah. Um, luckily for us though, our pitches aren't really very salesy or pitchy. They're just more 
we're going to catch up with you to make sure that uh, we like you and that you're good enough to join the club. So they tend to be they tend to be more relaxed. What was your side? Oh, Calvin's wasn't that relaxed. Well, <laughs> I, I grilled can't wait him. for him to hear that. I grilled him. <laughs> what did he do? Oh, no, no. I just had to make sure that I was going to get some return on the investment, right? Yeah, That's yeah. the marketing coming out yeah, of Yeah. Well, so what's the reason you joined then? Because you joined three weeks ago, you said. So yeah. So you're fresh. Yes. Newbie. Uh, so we joined because, well, your membership base is pretty much the same as our in in our sweet spot where yeah. where you know our revenue sits quite nicely with uh, quite a lot of your members. Mm-hmm. So they're probably experiencing some of the challenges that we are too. And the fact is, is that people go, "Oh, they're lawyers," but guess what? We're business owners. Mm. So the crap you're going through, we're probably going through as well. And yeah. it's nice to have you know, a different perspective on things coming from different sectors. Uh, so, and, and everyone seemed just really nice and friendly as well, despite their success. Have you been, did you do a welcome evening or anything yet? Yeah, we did. They were great. Did you go? I've good? already had lunch with one of the members. Have you? Yeah. Oh, how good is yeah, that? Yeah, it was great. I love it. And so what you're saying is that it was, it was, it's during COVID and all this chaos going on, it, it, it's a nice feeling to have a group of people around you that are going through something similar perhaps. Yeah, I absolutely think that COVID is in some ways beneficial for cubs. Yeah, you know why? Someone actually said it to me the other day because I've got no other way of socialising. That's right, <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I need people and yeah. I can still – because we're still, we're still running things, we're still doing everything. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Like I, and it's also not that cubs is a sales tool but everyone does business together there – it's also a great way to do business development because at the moment it's the only way because all the members still come see each other. We still hope, obviously everything's smaller and spread out and we've got all the laws that we're following to That's right. make it COVID safe, but we're still interacting together. We're still doing exactly business must go on and business owners know that and they're showing that that Cubs become kind of the only way to do it at the moment. So yeah, and everyone there is just very supportive as well and I think you need that. It's also – quite challenging when you're leading an enterprise you know especially at a time like this you don't want to be sitting there telling your staff oh my god I don't know if I can pay you next week because of COVID you know so I think that I mean we're not in that situation we're really blessed we're not but there probably are others that are and they need someone to speak to other than their wives or their husbands or their girlfriends and you know it's it's a lot for your personal home life to deal with yeah and I think the more that people can discuss these types of things outside of the home and then get home and have a break that's really good for their their mental um, mental health completely agree completely agree and sometimes also you don't want to stress you don't want to add stress to your friends and family as yeah, well that's that right. they, they don't otherwise need to they wouldn't otherwise have kind of thing and did COVID affect you? How did how, no? How, we we had um, like how have you got? Has it changed anything for I guess the legal industry or for you? Oh guys? look, what I hate is that everyone's not in the office because I just loved having. <laughs> yeah, you're super social. <laughs> I'm super social, yeah. so uh, yeah, that was really annoying. Uh, but look, we have a few people coming in now, which has been better for me. But yeah, did, we've we've had certain groups, uh, practice groups, that are exploding, like our employment law team workplace relations team you know people are struggling they don't know what to do about job keeper and and who can i fire people can, can i not I fire, am i allowed I to cut wages down? yeah what, I, yeah there's so many yeah. issues i mean we did a combined webinar with ready tech that do a lot of uh, software for hr software they had like some extraordinary number of people on the webinar 
like crazy numbers because everyone's struggling with trying to understand the space. Yeah. It was one of the hot topics. So when we're doing the digital conversations, but when COVID first happened, we went mental. We did something like 22 digital events Mm. a week or something ridiculous because we knew everyone needed the information. They did. And the two most popular, sorry, the three most popular. So one of them was negotiating your leases. Yeah, that we did one. one. We did a lockdown on that. We did, did a lockdown you? video yeah. on that. Yeah. So that one was that. One of them was employment, uh, HR, the laws of employment. Or yep. Can I cut wages? Can I fire people? And the third was leadership in crisis. Mm-hmm. And they were the most important style of topics we did through through COVID. That's great. Yeah, it was really cool. And they, they'll pack, they'll pack. But do you think the legal industry has been hit harder than most or it depends parts of the legal industry? because Parts. Okay. I think parts will be. Because some would have grown, actually. Yeah, we've it's it's a mixed bag, and um, a big part of your role is creating great alliances for your company, finding partnerships. Do you have a process that you could take us through that that you use? Uh, what's yeah, a good way for look, a company for me, to find the most important aspect of an alliance is: do I get enough access to your membership? Because the alliance is great, but I'm only going to align with someone if I can provide my services to their to their members. And if I don't, if I'm not given enough opportunities to build relationships with the members, then I'm just kind of throwing money. By members you're meaning like, so when you guys do partnerships with, like who's someone you guys would do a partnership with? Uh, so the Association for Corporate Counsel, for example, yeah. that's all the in-house counsel at all the firms. We want to know that we're going to be we're going to have exposure. events, exposure, not just exposure in the sense that I don't care if my banner is up at an event. Nobody's going to notice that. What I want is more sophisticated uh, processes around what I'm getting for my sponsorship. And that's what marketing needs to get better at in some cases. I'm really fortunate because I've, I'm an ex-lawyer. I can negotiate very well in terms of, you know, what my package will having it but there's a lot of associations that haven't been sophisticated enough in the way that they've developed their sponsorship packages um and they're getting a lot better at it now i've seen a huge difference okay so really if you're going to partner with anybody you need to make sure if the partnership is is for the purpose of gaining more clients the key is exposure but not just visual exposure. Yeah, you need two things, I think. You need one would be exposure to the membership. Mm-hmm. One. Uh that's the that's the key. That's where that's where you're going to really get any ROI. Mm-hmm. The second one is brand uplift. So that's where your brand becomes more prestigious as a result of oh, certain by being associated with them. So Correct. for example, if Cub was to partner with uh, the Intercontinental Hotel chain. That's it. Yeah, it makes us yeah. it, it, we're aligned with this level of Luxury, I guess. Yeah, so that gives you brand uplift, right? Yeah. Okay, so you can look for both. Yeah, you look for both. And what about for additional value to clients? Do you do any partnerships for that? Like for Cub? Yep. For, for example, I can use, even use the hotel thing again. Yes. Let's say we did partnerships with hotels and as a member you have a 25% That's discount. That's right. Perfect. Do you guys do that? Uh, we much? do, yeah. We, we absolutely do. So Cub members would get a discount on services that we would provide to Cub members. They'd probably get, you know, half-hour free consultation with our corporations law partner, um, our employment team. Then we'd, you know, give, give them special rates, partner mm-hmm. rates, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And would you say that partnerships are 
a large part of your marketing plan? I think they're quite a significant part, absolutely, because you've just got access to a whole database essentially yeah. without having to go out and do you know, your lead gen and all that kind of stuff. It's already established. It's there. When, when obviously thinking And it's of, qualified. Yeah. You see? Yeah. How would you approach a potential partnership? So how would you approach the company? What would you say? Um, so let's say you're partnering with, I don't know, one of your partners you got now. Yeah. How, how do you oh, I sit together with out? the partnerships manager and they'll come to me with a proposal. So they'll start the process by coming to me with a proposal and then we'll meet and hash it out, really. It's a negotiation. Yeah, but are you saying to them openly, hey, we want to sell to your clients or are yeah, you saying absolutely. something else? I'm, I'm very so upfront about like it. That. Yeah. And, and what's their benefit? So my point is when you're trying to sell it to them, what are you saying to them? Oh, well, they get money. They get a sponsorship uh, amount. Okay. Okay. So you're sponsoring yeah, them. Yeah, I'm sponsoring uh, them. Okay. And do you have any theories on, on, on marketing that you, you think people should hear? Do you have any, any, like what are some of the key lessons that you've got for mm. marketing? I do want to ask you some key lessons you've got in general, but first I'd love to focus on the marketing aspect. Is this something that maybe the one most important thing in marketing that you've got? I think the best marketers are really creative but not in an advertising way. I'm talking about looking for the gap. Where are the markets that nobody's gone into? What's open, slather, that? And I think that's where, that's the nutmeg, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the chestnut when you can just sit there and go, wow, nobody has sold in this sector and we didn't even think of it. Yeah. Looking, yeah. Have you ever read that book, Blue Ocean Strategy? Yeah. Talks about that's that's I'm pretty sure that's exactly Yeah, I love I I love that book, especially when you're talking about lawyers, because you couldn't get more of a red ocean than lawyers. Yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So yeah, I love that book. I I read that ten years ago. You'll be great. You are a big reader, aren't you? I yeah, I was a bookworm when I was younger, definitely. So yeah, and you're very. There's nothing like opening up. A brand new book, the smell of a brand new book when it's hot off the press yeah. when you're in publishing is amazing. Really? Yeah. I just like scribbling all over them with my, <laughs> with my highlighters. Sacrilege. And, oh, my yeah, God. No, you're not into that. You love them too much. I love – if I read, I need to write on the book. I need to put everything there. I need to – like cool. it's just the best part of reading. Then you go back and you can find your favourite parts. Uh-huh. And can you leave us with some of your favourite books maybe? I love anything in 1920s Paris where everyone's drinking – crap loads of absinthe um no i love a movable feast by by hemingway that's one of my favorites what's it about it's just about living in paris in the 20s and you know i grew up and all they did was oh did you i lived in paris for six years well they were just a bunch of trust fund you know f scott fitzgerald and they were just all a bunch of trust fund babies and rich parisians they were rich americans in paris just in paris Just living it up and partying too hard but <laughs> talking crap every day, thinking they were great philosophers but in fact they were just dwindling away the trust fund. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. Though. Yeah, exactly. And what about a favourite quote or, or greatest lessons in quote, business? Quote, oh, being Greek, I can't go past all with the Are Greek. Are Greek? Yeah. No, I don't think you look Greek. Yeah, yeah, I'm Greek. I'm from Melbourne. Of course I'm Greek. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so Zorba the Greek, my dad told me this. He passed away four years ago and he's just been so influential in my life. So is my mum too. But uh, he always said, Zorba the Greek, there's a line in it where he says, to live is to undo your belt and look for trouble. (laughs) And I think I've done that so much in my life, you know, just (laughs) 
crazy things like, oh, I'm a tax lawyer. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to pack my bags and go to London. You know, just I just think you just have to take chances in life and have adventures. Yeah. Otherwise you'd be boring and you'd regret it at the end. Especially something people need to hear now is what happens, happens. What's supposed to happen, happens. It happens for a reason and just you just got to keep, go. keep yeah. moving forward. Keep moving. It. Amazing. Well, you've been so incredible to have on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. That was and great fun. Thank you to all the listeners. Hope you enjoyed the show.